you're actually less likely to want to work out if you're approaching it from a weight-centric or body composition-centric approach. Welcome to Shoulders Down, a podcast about intuitive eating and living. I'm your host, Leah Kern, and I'm an anti-diet dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. In this podcast, you will learn to harness your body's innate wisdom to govern not just how you eat, but also how you live. It is my mission to help you heal your relationship with food and body so you can live your most aligned and fulfilling life. Welcome, and I'm so glad that you're here. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Shoulders Down. Today, we have a wonderful episode for you. Our guest is someone named Kira, who is a personal trainer doing truly amazing work to get toxic diet culture and weight stigma out of the personal training fitness space. Before we dive into today's episode, just a quick reminder, something I feel like I haven't shared on here in a while. If you have been listening to this podcast and you are in need of more support on healing your relationship with food and body, I want to remind you that there are two different ways to work with me. The first way is in my self-paced course. So this course is called The Return. It is entirely self-paced. It literally just takes my one-to-one signature method that I've been using for years now, and that's helped so many clients heal their relationship with food and body. It takes that method and puts it into a self-paced video module format. Plus, um, when you're in the course, you still get monthly Q&A calls with me to get your questions answered as you are working through the course material. The other option to work with me would be in a one-to-one capacity, which I've limited spots for, but currently we have one opening. And that is the highest touch, most intimate way to work with me. This is my one-to-one signature coaching program, The Embodied Method. It is a four-month program to help you fully heal your relationship with food and body. Both the course, which is called The Return, and my one-to-one program, The Embodied Method, help you achieve the same outcomes. It just depends on the kind of support that would feel best for you. So the link to apply to -to one-to-one and the link to enroll or learn more about The Return Both of those links can be found in the show notes. So just want to remind you that there are options for more support. And if you're not sure which would be a good fit, you can reach out to me at leah at leahkernrd.com and we can set up a free call to really chat through what's been going on. And so I can help you figure out what kind of support might make sense for you right now. Okay, with that, let's introduce Kira and dive right into today's episode. Kira is a non-diet and size-inclusive personal trainer based in Ontario, Canada. After developing her own food and body image struggles due to mainstream fitness culture, she now promotes a body-neutral approach to health and fitness and helps her clients to focus on how their workouts make them feel rather than look. Welcome to the podcast, Kira. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, I was just saying before we hit record, like I... I usually will like kind of vet someone before, but with you, I'm like, it, I, I just have a good feeling. Like it's just going to be okay. <laughs> the surprise is on you. Cause I'm just going to go completely off the wall. <laughs> She's going to go haywire and like, ruin <laughs> yeah. the podcast. Um, I, I'm really like, I always, I always 
I love every time I interview someone for the podcast, but I especially love when I don't really know much about someone's story because it's like I'm learning for the first time along with the people listening. And that's certainly the case with um, you and your story um, because we've I've just kind of followed you from afar for some time. So I'd love to just start with uh, the question of really what is your story with your relationship with food and body as much as you're comfortable getting into? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's really common for anyone who's in our space. Majority of us have had difficult relationships with food, body, exercise, all of those things really tie in with each other. With the exception of, so I started a podcast as well, and my co-host, she doesn't have any, like she never had issues and like everything always made sense to her in terms of like intuitive eating and not focusing on weight. So she's a bit of a unicorn, but the rest of us very much so kind of started off in a place where we didn't have a good relationship with food or our bodies. So for me, I think that really started when I was younger. I was a competitive gymnast. And I think what's really common in sports in general, we know there's a higher risk for issues with food and body, but especially sports like gymnastics, dance, figure skating, that have this element of pressure to look a certain way. So gymnastics was a huge part of my life. Absolutely loved it. And I think that's why I went into fitness as a career because it does become so integral to your identity really. But what I found was happening, and gymnastics is a tough one because it has a really short shelf life And I feel like as soon as you start to get a little bit taller or you gain some weight as children do, as we all do, we hope, yeah, absolutely. um, I started noticing that making a difference in like my performance and I wasn't able to do things as easily or things were just like a little bit off. So I think I took that as like, okay, so I'm gaining weight and this is affecting my performance and the way that I'm doing things. So I need to mitigate that. And so that's kind of where that started. And so started getting way too worried about eating as quote unquote healthy as possible. And I probably was like 11 around this time and really at any age, you know, that's not something that should be taking up your brain space, but especially at that age. Um, And so, yeah, like definitely a lot of time spent like trying to eat as healthy as possible, like really hyper-focused on making sure that I was exercising more um, and really trying to, I guess, like get a bit of a advantage, but it became obsessive really. So I was really thankful because I had a coach at the time who I think noticed what was going on and she was able to kind of take me aside and like have a talk to me. So I'm really grateful for that. So that helped me just kind of reevaluate. And then at the same time, because you can only do gymnastics for so long, or, you know, you could do it for as long as you want really, but maybe to a lesser degree or whatever, but I had, um, stopped doing it. I was finishing high school. And so I wasn't doing it as much. And so things were pretty good, like in terms of um, issues with food and and stuff like that until I got out of high school. I hadn't really been working out. I think that's also another really common thing for people who had been athletes is that once you're like out of the organized sport, it's kind of like, okay, you don't really know how to do it on your own. You don't know what you should be doing. And so 
again, because it was um, such a big part of my life, I was like, you know, I miss this. Like I miss having movement be in my life. Like I want to get back to that. So it would have been probably like early 20s at this point and doing what any of us would do now to try and get back into a fitness routine. I went online and was seeing what people were doing, following different kinds of accounts. And this was like early, oh, I should say maybe mid 2010s-ish. That makes me feel old. But so, (laughs) yeah, so at the time, and thankfully things are very different now in a lot of ways, still very much not different. But back then, if you were in fitness or you had a big fitness account and following, you were probably in bodybuilding or like a fitness model. And the type of fitness that was being promoted was very much working out to look a very specific way. Again, like we're seeing that change now and that's such a great thing. But back then it was very much like you're working out to quote unquote, get tone to get lean. Like I'm doing so many air quotes. And then the way that people were eating, who were also promoting this type of exercise, clean eating, huge back then. And so that really fed into, again, like having kind of that previous sketchy relationship with food where I was drawn to being really obsessive with eating a particular way. And that was so celebrated, right? And encouraged. And that was seen as what you should be doing. That was what what healthy eating was being promoted as. So I really didn't know any better, right? Like so many, like so many of us and so many people still are in that position too, where you just don't know any different. And there wasn't anything that I was seeing that was really pushing against that paradigm, if that makes sense. So again, like really threw myself into that. I think, especially as an ex-athlete, I see that as a really common pattern as well, where you do maybe have a tendency to take things maybe a bit more to the extreme. Um, So really threw myself into like the fit, healthy lifestyle, again, air quotes, because it turned out to not be that um, whatsoever, because it did become such an obsession. But Um, yeah, like several years probably of, again, really only using exercise to try and look a very specific way, but also never being satisfied with how I I felt exercise was making me look. So that's, again, and what we'll dive into in the rest of the conversation, but it just had this opposite effect where you're working out so much and so often to want to love your body more, and it's actually doing the complete opposite. So, and it definitely wasn't an overnight situation of getting out of that. Um, What ended up being pretty pivotal for me and beginning to get away from the exercise to look a certain way mentality was that I had joined a CrossFit gym. And again, being a gymnast, I was drawn to a lot of movements in it. I liked the idea of you know, trying to see more what your body is capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it seemed like more gymnastics. Like you had like the bars and you could do the handstands. I'm like, oh my God, this looks so fun. So in some ways that was really helpful because it did begin to show me that you can exercise to see what your body is capable of, to reach new performance goals. It's not solely just to 
whatever, look a certain way, add muscle, blah, blah. But at the same time, there's a very specific way of eating that is promoted in a lot of those circles. I know it's, especially now, like, again, this was mid 2010. So like different landscape. Mm -hmm. And I know not all boxes, gyms, whatever. Yeah. The CrossFit box. Yeah. Yeah. I know they're all, you know, they're different and can promote different, different um, ideologies there. But the one that I was at, it was very much like the paleo and like all this stuff around food. And again, coming from a background of having that funkiness that was still really holding me back because again, it is also tied together, right? The, your relationship with food and exercise. So what gave me another little kick um, across the line was that I had moved to just a Olympic weightlifting only gym. So really loved the weightlifting aspect and CrossFit. Didn't love the cardio. I was like, I don't want to run, like stop making me run. So I went to the lifting only, um, a separate club or whatever. And there we were obviously like pushing ourselves to get better and see what our bodies are capable of. But they would also bring like members would bring like fun treats to like the classes. And there was really this culture of you can enjoy food and you can enjoy exercise and like those two things can coexist when up until that point they were really at odds with each other so I think all of that kind of combined was helping me to get away from my previous uh, relationship with exercise and that was a very long story yeah no oh my god I love the detail like I'm the kind of person I want to hear all of that so that like that's how you said like you started moving away from it. You're now like firmly anti-diet, health at every size in the movement space. How do you kind of get from like kind of dipping your toes in it to like all the way there? Like what is your first, can you recall the moment that you really learn about intuitive eating and or health at every size and or the anti-diet movement for the first time? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So I, around this same time, I had started going to school for exercise science. And I think that's a, an interesting note to make because when I started my degree, I was not in this space whatsoever. And I think that's similar with a lot of dietitians as well. Totally. Like it totally co-ops your interests. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. if I would have been a dietitian if I didn't have disordered eating because yes. I chose it from a place of like, Mm, I'm going to capitalize on this education for my own, you know, perfection. A thousand percent. So I was not in this headspace when I started maybe, you know, beginning to kind of get away from it, to kind of realize that how I had been using exercise was not healthy or productive, but at the same time, very much still entrenched in that. And I think it's so funny because it could have gone such a different way if I hadn't taken this one class. It wasn't even a required class. It was like a class, a random class that I had taken for like a humanities to fill out my whatever because I was in kinesiology. I was in exercise science. So I took this class. It was a gender studies class. It was called Food and Sex. I was just, you know, drawn to that title, really. Yeah, naturally. Yeah. And it was really interesting. It talked about like why, you know, men would be more likely to make this or women would be more likely to make a salad and lots of different things that we talked about. But there was a guest speaker that came in to talk about health at every size. And I remember being 
shocked, like not receptive to it, even though I had started making these strides away from a very diety mentality around exercise, I was not ready for this conversation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I was not receptive to it when I first heard it. Um, I found it like insulting, honestly, and it was just so against what I had been learning in my other classes, which was another thing. And what I had thought I had known about health and weight and bodies and all that stuff leading up to it. So I think that's an interesting thing to, to tell people as well that, you know, you might not be immediately open to it because it is so different, but you obviously, because it happened with me, you are able to get to a place where those things begin to make sense. So it definitely wasn't an overnight change, but I think once I I heard that for the first time, I then started to see more talk online because this is probably like 2016, 2017 maybe. And so online, you are starting to see more non-diet accounts. Around the same time, there was a gym opening up in the city that I was going to school at that was um, a body neutral gym. And I had never, you know, heard of that before. And I think that was the first time that I had heard the term diet culture. And so like all these little things that were being shown to me then started kind of, kind of to build up in my mind, like, oh, okay, this is starting to make sense. I'm starting to see a lot of the stuff that's being discussed in myself and my own experiences and why I do have such a difficult relationship with food and why I am able to not use exercise in a way that's not, you know, trying to change everything about the way that I look. So again, like just these kind of small seeds that yeah. uh, built up over time. It's so cool. Like they're all pointing to one kind of like culminating truth. So it was intuitive eating part of your story early on, because it sounds like health at every size was the intro into this world. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So after that kind of initial, um, guest speaker that we had in class and then seeing some more things online, hearing about intuitive eating, getting the books, listening to some podcasts. And then that that really helped me uh, understand more about how everything was connected and how those things are really the key to to better health than yeah. what I had been doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I was going to ask the question of like, you know, the fact that you were so um, like kind of initial reaction was to reject health at every size. What got you from that place to the place of not only accepting it, but like building your whole like work and and your whole approach to your business through that model? Mm -hmm. I think learning more about the science behind it all, because again, I was in exercise science, so we are primed to want to look into the research and just understanding up until that point, you think you have this idea of, well, the research says this and the research says that like against health at every size, but then you learn like, okay, so these studies that are showing that weight loss is sustainable and feasible, they're only six months long and then they never check in with the people ever again. Or the study was funded by like this weight loss drug. And so like you just learn so much more behind the story and like you understand that there is so much that is being unsaid and that is being kind of twisted to hold up this paradigm when really 
it's the opposite that's happening. So that was really enlightening to me. Um, and then just learning more about how how not tied health and weight are to each mm-hmm. other as, again, as someone who had been in a kinesiology degree, how how that would um how previously you thought that was. And um, yeah, I think just learning more about the science behind it all and and really like why it is so strongly promoted and it has more to do with making money than actual health promotion um, and holding up systems of oppression as well. Absolutely. Like, but, but that was further down the road of totally. learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that's so helpful for, pe- for people to hear that like, along the journey of going from rejecting it to accepting it it has so much to do with just gaining more information and starting to ask questions about like okay but this research that is like supposedly like this weight science like what's going on here and like you said the conflict of interest with who's funding the study um the like short follow-up times the like small sample sizes the correlation like asserting that correlation equals causation that like they're having these health problems because of the weight when like hello what about weight stigma and like all these other pieces um i think that's so helpful for people to hear so to get into like present day how do you end up from like being an undergrad, like all the pieces coming together, like you said, all the seeds being planted and having these like culmination moments of like, whoa, like I understand how all this fits together to um, starting to work with clients in the way that you do today? Mm-hmm. So I was lucky that um, when I was actually starting to work with clients, I wasn't fully there yet, but I was I was still further along than when I was at the beginning, if that makes sense. So, and there's still some funky stuff that I was doing, like, and you'll see this now with a lot of trainers who kind of say that they're like anti-diet and they're like, oh, don't worry about the scale. Like, let's not worry about weight loss. But then they're like promoting, taking like progress photos or like measurements. So there's still very much like this this emphasis on looking a very particular way, even if weight isn't necessarily the the goal or like the focus, it's still very much like this is the body type that you should be striving for. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, so that was still like when I wasn't quite there yet, but I was able to, I think, understand pretty quickly that this is also not what anti-diet and non-diet is, but it's learning, right? And it's not an overnight situation. And so um, I'm I'm thankful that I was able to get away from that fairly quickly and then shift to a fully body neutral approach to fitness where we take out any emphasis on what the what might be happening outwardly to your body composition and focus only on either what your body is capable of or just simply how the workouts are making you feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to dive into this piece a little deeper for someone who's listening and they're like, I don't get it. What's so bad about having the focus of exercise be about like changing the size or shape of my body? Why is ultimately, why is that problematic and and ultimately not sustainable? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, firstly, it's understandable why someone would think that that is the key to health and would be questioning like, what is so wrong about this? Because again, that's what has been taught. And that's what so many of us really grow up believing, like in order to be healthy and to get fit, we need to be focusing on weight loss, we need to be striving to achieve a quote unquote, healthy weight, healthy body type. 
but again, and again, going back to learning about all of this research that's that has been out, that's not coming out, it has been out for a very long time. It actually shows you that the more focused you are, not just on weight loss, but body changes in general, the worse your body image becomes, like we touched on at the beginning, the worse your exercise adherence becomes. So you're actually less likely to want to work out if you're approaching it from a weight-centric or body composition-centric approach. And that makes sense, I think, to a lot of people because it makes your workouts feel like a punishment, right? Like it's like this reminder each workout that your body isn't good enough. You need to do something to change it. And that's not motivating. That doesn't make us want to adhere to a program or stay consistent with movement. And then your risk of developing disordered eating or a full-blown eating disorder just skyrockets as well when, when those are your focus. So again, you know, if we're trying to promote an idea of increased health, of improved health, trying to pursue weight loss isn't the way to do it because there's so many things working against you and it doesn't end up being health promoting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that piece about it's not motivating if it's like a negative thing or a punishment. Mm-hmm. I just shared content on this because I love that concept and and like, yeah, we're not, we're, we're wired to avoid things that feel unpleasant. And if you're framing it as a punishment, that's in- extremely unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And because of like mainstream fitness culture, there's this idea of like, unless it does feel punishing or like painful or like no pain, no gain, that it won't be effective. And that's just so far from the truth, because again, you're not going to want to stay with something that you don't enjoy doing or just doesn't feel good. So yeah, I think that would be like the biggest tip for someone that is unsure of like how to stay consistent or they're like unsure of like why they aren't able to. It's probably because they're approaching it from this idea that it needs to feel like a punishment. Yeah. So for someone who's like, okay, I, I hear you framing exercise as a punishment or framing it only about body changes is not helpful. That won't lead to a sustainable relationship with exercise. How can a person start moving away from that weight-centric kind of like conventional approach to exercise into this approach? What what are some kind of like concrete steps? Mm -hmm. I think it starts far outside of the gym or like before you're even in the gym and like wondering about like workouts, the work needs to happen away from that. And so like we've been talking about learning about the research, the science behind weight and health, the history of why we have such negative feelings towards fatness and and larger bodies um, and learning from people who are larger than you as well. I think especially if someone is wanting to make fitness more of a priority, they really need to be making an effort to be seeing content, fitness content from people of all body shapes and sizes. Because if you're only following fitness accounts of people who look one very specific way, that's that's not not going to affect the way that you feel about exercise, your own body, and the link between exercise and bodies in general. So like widening your views on that. um, And that's really going to help you understand that fitness is for all bodies. And again, there isn't that link between like 
So again, if you are only following accounts of people that look one way, that's going to make you feel like exercise is going to make you smaller. And like, Mm -hmm. that's what we're trying to get away from. So, and that's, I mean, general advice for everyone should always be following lots of diverse accounts online anyways, but especially if that is something that you're actively trying to get away from. Yeah. I love that. It's like building proof in your brain that like exercise literally is for people in all body sizes because like I'm seeing proof of that in my feed constantly. I cannot stand the exercise accounts or like the influencers who also talk about their workouts who are like these accounts where they're they're not directly saying it. Sometimes they are in like the worst case, but often it's like this indirect suggestion that if you do the workouts that I'm prescribing, Mm -hmm. you will look like me when really the way a person looks, as we know, you know, speaking of the research has so much more to do with genetics, your genetic blueprint than it does your exercise regimen. Yeah, absolutely. That's huge. I think that's something that people really need to be aware of, especially when, again, like so many people that are going into the fitness industry, into dietetics, they're coming at it most likely already from a place of having having disordered relationship with food and their bodies. And they might kind of be what people would assume as is like a fitness body or whatever, like before they're already in it because of all of the issues that they're having and, and all of the internalization of like what they think they should be looking like to be going into this career. And so the workouts that they're doing, that's not responsible for the way that they look, like 95% most likely. And so to frame it as if like, oh, if you do this workout, you're going to look like me, that person's already thin. (laughs) That person already has the body type and the build. They're not like selling you this magical program that's going to make you look like them. And again, like you said, like we can all eat the same, work out the same way, and we're going to look different. There's no program in the world that can just like mold you into like whatever shape you think that you want to be or should be. Yeah. I think people really need to hear that. Like this idea that like, if you just wanted it bad enough, if you're disciplined enough, you could look mm-hmm. like the fitness influencer is just so untrue. Cause that completely ignores that genetic diversity exists in the human species. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then like so many fitness professionals, like they're working out for a career, like even regardless, there's still that that body diversity and that size diversity, but you're having someone tell you whose career it is to work out way more than an average person that if you work out like them, that you'll look like them. But the average person doesn't need to or shouldn't have to be working out like a full-time job in order to get benefits from exercise. And talk about like not being sustainable. Like people have lives. They have work and kids and shit to do. Like they don't have the same time as the influencer who that's their sole job. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then again, it just becomes such a barrier to getting into any kind of program or any type of routine because it's like, oh, well, I don't have three hours a day to work out. So I might as well not work out at all. (laughs) So that's, again, that's not really what us as fitness professionals should be promoting. Right. Yeah. Like the opposite of this all or nothing mentality. Mm -hmm. Okay. I did not plan to ask you this, but I have to before it slips my mind. I had a client who I want to say she's like younger, maybe in college who told me that like about Oh, no, she's just out of college. But she was telling me how over the pandemic, um, these YouTube videos from this, I, I think, fitness person named Chloe Ting. Does that mean anything to you? Okay. No. Um, I, I, I mean, I've heard a few of them, like Kayla Itzies. Okay. Yep. 
Um, but I guess the point just being like, there are these like people who have like almost icon status, especially amongst like young women and stuff of like, they have these huge programs and they have a ton of influence in like the social media sphere, whether it's YouTube or Instagram or whatever. And their platform is almost built off of like their body as a business card. I guess I don't really have a question here other than just like, I'm remembering that this client like brought this up to me. Um, Mm -hmm. I hadn't heard of that. Chloe Ting. I hadn't heard of her until she brought, she was like just out of college. And I feel like it was like a really like kind of like trendy thing for like a certain age group during the pandemic. Um, But I guess like, how, what are some signs to look for? And like, if you're not sure if the person that you're Mm. consuming workout information from or getting your workouts from and stuff, um, what are some signs of like it being red flags or, or problematic and some green flags as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's such a huge, again, just like aspect of toxic fitness culture, this idea that, like you said, your body is your business card. And this is tying into why people like this and trainers like this are reaching such like astronomical levels of influence because people so desperately want to believe that they can achieve that body type by doing something as, you know, maybe there is an idea that there's again, like work quote unquote involved, discipline involved, but that if they just do this workout program or they just get this meal plan, that this can become achievable. And I think that's such a gross tactic on part of the trainer who is selling that because we know it's not realistic. We know, again, we can be doing all the same types of exercise, eating all the same types of food. We're still going to look completely different. So it uh, is incredibly frustrating, absolutely, to see that being used as a tactic. But again, so if someone is kind of like, okay, well, like, I'm not quite sure if this person I'm following is, you know, aligning with all this stuff or or what's going on. I think it's really evident if you're never seeing other body types than theirs, or like if the only time you're seeing someone in a larger body is when it's like on the left side of a before and after picture. Like, so those things are going to be really evident. And I mean, this could be like a whole conversation on its own, but it's definitely, you know, something in the back of my mind almost all the time of being in a thin body and promoting the things that I promote and trying to do it in a way where people don't think that if they do my program and they don't diet and they have food freedom, that they'll still look like me. So I really try to make an effort to amplify and promote fitness accounts of people in larger bodies. And again, it's a funky thing because I have a workout video membership where I am like working out and people can like see me doing that. But it's, I try to make sure that I'm not being seen as often as other people, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. because there is such a strong correlation between seeing someone perform a workout routine and thinking that that's what's going to happen to the person who's also participating in it. And yeah. And again, this whole idea of, you know, you can be non-diet, you can work out for reasons other than weight loss, but if you're only ever following accounts that have thin bodies or straight sides bodies, like there is still that kind of subconscious idea that that can still be achievable for you. And that's again, like what we're wanting to get away from. So I don't even know if there's a question that I asked in there. I just kind of like went on a tangent. No, yeah. You, 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 the question being like, what are green flags? What are red flags? It sounds like some of the Mm -hmm. biggest red flags are like, 
the person always centering if they're in a straight size body, like their body and um, never uplifting creators or content from fitness accounts of folks in larger bodies, or Mm -hmm. if they're never like explicitly talking about exactly what you're talking about right now of like, you can Mm -hmm. do all my workouts and you won't necessarily. Yeah. I think as well, um, I guess another red flag would be like the what I eat in a day videos or even just like a regular, a regular showing of the foods that you're eating. And like, as, as a dietitian, I wonder what you think about this as well. Even just like regularly showing like, this is what I'm having for lunch. This is what I'm having for whatever. This is my snacks. And so, and I think maybe even more so if, if that person is, is a fitness professional, because again, there is such that strong historical idea of what you're eating and and what you should look like where I really don't show pictures of food or like what I'm eating unless it's like, I don't know, some like fun treat or like whatever, but it's not something that I do. And like, that's on purpose, I think, because Mm -hmm. I don't want people to think that again, like, oh, this person's in fitness. This is what she's eating. This is how I should be eating. Totally. Um, yeah, there's like a level of um, credibility, like unearned almost that comes with, I don't want to say unearned sounds ha- like hard. I don't know. It sounds harsh, but like, oh, this person has knowledge about fitness. Therefore, they must also have mm-hmm. knowledge about food when really they're separate scopes. Mm-hmm. Um, but even being a dietitian who's like, quote unquote, earned knowledge about food, which like even feels weird to say, um, it's like, yeah, what I'm eating doesn't really matter because like it's like mm-hmm. so dependent on how you're feeling at any given day or like what your energy needs are. I I have a strong stance on, I strongly disagree with what I eat in a day videos Mm -hmm. for like the obvious reasons of being incredibly triggering and breeding comparison. I do think um, as a dietitian, it can be helpful because there's this like, like she just must eat so perfectly. Like these ideas Mm -hmm. of kind of knocking that down and being like, I'm literally having a freaking frozen meal for dinner and it's like not glamorous. And this Mm -hmm. is, this is life or PB and J for lunch. I don't know. It's just things that are coming up. Yeah. And I think that if someone is, you know, and then there's other people who maybe have part of their business that is like recipes or whatever. And again, that can be like a whole situation because if they're not accredited to do that and they're giving nutrition information and they're just a fitness professional. Yeah. That's definitely some, some red flag territory, but say there's like, I don't know, someone likes to share recipes or whatever. And if they're like only ever sharing, again, quote unquote, healthified recipes, and like, they're not just like, you know, throwing in some regular like mac and cheese or just like whatever, like making sure, I guess, if there is food and recipes being shown, that there's not this like, assumed way that again that you should be eating like that there's variety to it. And that there's like, not just like, stereotypical fitness food, whatever that means. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I can think of one account in particular where like she shares a ton of workout stuff and a ton. I think she's a dietitian and a personal trainer. So like Mm. technically credible on both, but like there can just be so much pressure of like, okay, I have to follow these workouts that you're prescribing. My food has to look beautiful like you. I have to have the money to afford this like high caliber of food. Like it just becomes the way I see it, like incredibly elitist to suggest that one would have the time to prepare these like elaborate foods and Mm -hmm. do these elaborate workouts and also the clothes like have these like you know gorgeous workout sets and everything um and I think that just speaks to so much about like 
how high it feels like the barrier to entry can be to the work, the fitness world in like our current environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what you're saying there just with like the food looking like so perfect and the outfits looking so perfect. It's like, and I'm not on TikTok. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm just like, this is just Instagram's enough for me. I don't need to get it. Totally. Oh my God. But there, and yet you'll see it on Instagram a bit too. And like, definitely not as much for me because I've very intentionally curated a good online kind of what I'm being shown and all that kind of stuff. But you'll get this like, um, you know, like this wellness, like it girl kind of like aesthetic and vibe where it's like, I'm going to put on my matching set. I'm going to do my meditation. I'm going to write in my journal. I'm going to have my AG1. And it's just like, like this is AG1. <laughs> yes. And again, like it's not, I guess that could be okay for some people, whatever, if you want to do that. But like you can add steps into your day and work to improve your health in ways that like don't need to look like this. Yeah. Yeah. So this is something I want to get into. Like we, we, you mentioned before, like the three hour workouts and like this idea like of all or nothing. So I hear all the time, like people being stuck in this mentality of like, it doesn't count unless insert like mm-hmm. amount of time I have to work out for amount of calories I have to burn, like other metric, like I have to produce sweat or something. How can someone start moving away from this kind of mentality of like, it has to be X to count? Mm -hmm. So again, this goes back to learning more about how everything that we thought about fitness and health is just so skewed. So especially like, I feel like so many people have this idea that their health status is like 50% how much, how often they're working out and 50% like what they're eating. And it's so much more complex and involved than that. And really, especially when it comes to like lifestyle behaviors, like how often you are working out really does not count or like as matter as much as people really think that they do. So I think if you believe that how healthy you end up being is like primarily comprised of how often you're working out, of course, you're going to become compulsive and weird about it and like really feel like you need to be working out X amount of time. Um, Where once you start learning like social determinants of health and like how so much of it is out of our control, it kind of takes the pressure off. So that's really helpful to, to learn more about and look into And again, going back to unlearning all of the misinformation about body size and weight and health and learning more about weight stigma, like you mentioned, is massive. Uh, Learning more from from people who are in larger bodies and understanding that, uh, that so many of those things really are doing us a disservice and that it's not all about how often we're we're working out. Yeah. I love that image of like, I think I have like a piece of content on this and I'm sure many other people do too. Like the two pie charts of like what we used to think or or what mm-hmm. diet culture says health is really about. And it's like that half weight or sorry, half diet, half exercise. And then like what it actually is. And it's like so many more pieces to the pie. Mm-hmm. Learning more as well. Like the link between like, it's not healthy to be obsessed with how much you're like, it's not healthy to be obsessed with working out. It's not healthy to be obsessed with eating quote unquote perfectly. So trying to find that balance between, 
you know, if you want to prioritize movement in your life, that's something that feels good for you and that you do want to value in your life. And then making sure that it's not kind of tipping over the scales where it's getting into that compulsive area, because it's so easy to do that again, when you think that that's going to be the be all and end all of your health status. Right. Yeah. So if, if manipulating your physical appearance, the size or shape of your body is like as the research shows and is like your lived experience, my lived experience, I'm sure so many people out there can resonate. If that is not a sustainable, is that, if that's not a motivation for a sustainable relationship with exercise, what are some motivations that create sustainable relationships with exercise? Mm-hmm. So I'm sure your listeners hear a lot about joyful movement and I'm a big supporter and promoter of that as well. So finding something that you genuinely enjoy doing. And I think for a lot of people, this is tough, right? Because we have had such difficult histories and relationships with exercise to the point where I think a lot of people would be like, well, I don't even know what exercise I like because it's all been for this one goal of weight loss or to just burn calories or because I just wanted to feel punished for what my body looks like or whatever. So I think what can be helpful sometimes is to think back before, you know, all of, all of the bullshit around diet culture and fitness started getting in the way. And like, what activities did you enjoy doing as like a younger kid, maybe where hopefully it wasn't about, changing your body or burning calories. It was about playing and like socializing and trying something new. And so for someone, this could be like an organized sport. Maybe they're like really into soccer or volleyball or whatever. And then you can find activities that mimic that now as an adult. So like a rec league or something like that, where you're participating in this movement that you've had a good relationship with in the past. And it wasn't just based around trying to change yourself. Um, And I think maybe trying types of movement that aren't just like working out for the sake of working out. Maybe you're like making an experience out of it, or you're doing an activity with a friend or you're socializing with someone at the same time. So it's not solely about the fitness part of it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love those tips. I love the piece about thinking about like as a child, like you wouldn't just Mm -hmm. like run in place or put, pick things up and put them down. Like, (laughs) I mean, I hope not. Um, you would do things that like naturally were flexing Mm -hmm. your muscles and getting your cardio and stuff. Not to say that it's bad to run in place or put them down if you find joy in that today. So many of us have this idea that it's only exercise if we're in a gym or it's only exercise if we're in a fitness class but we're exercising all day long doing various things. And so again, like just trying to reframe your idea of what you think exercise is because, you know, going for walks, great exercise, but so many of us are like, Oh, that doesn't count. That's not, that's not working out. But like, if you enjoy doing it and you're going to be doing it regularly, that's way better than doing like one fitness class every six weeks and then like not doing it again because you didn't like doing it or like gardening or, you know, all of these things that are still moving our bodies. They don't need to be taking place in a gym in order to count as movement that's going to benefit your life. Yeah. And I, I can't have the exact study to point to, but uh, recently I encountered some, some piece of research saying that like widening your view of what counts as movement has health promoting behaviors mm. in and of itself. So it's oh, like, yeah, awesome. yeah. I, I Which makes I... so much sense. Yeah. I'd love to see that because like, yeah, just hearing that you're like, of course, 
But I love when you get pieces of research like that because it is like validating. Yeah. 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 And and I think of too like, oh my God, like changing the sheets or like the duvet or like folding the laundry or like unloading the dishes from the dish rack or whatever. Like that is like movement and like muscles and and like it's just a matter of like shifting the way you see it. And do you know of any research? Like I, I, I'm so much more tuned into the research on the intuitive eating, like food mm. front. Um, but I do remember seeing in in uh, you know, pieces about how like small bouts of movement mm-hmm. have benefits in the same way that like, you know, it more intense, longer periods of movement. Like we thought that those are the only kinds of movement that could 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 give us benefits. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because there's more and more studies coming out that it that are pointing towards like actually like less movement. Like there's, you know, they're starting from like, okay, well like 10 minutes of like more intentional movement or more like continuous movement is going to have health benefits. And it goes down to like five minutes. So there really isn't like, you need to be doing this amount of time in order to be getting the benefits from it. And again, like going back to, it's the consistency, I think over time, that's going to make the biggest difference, not necessarily like what's the best, the quote unquote, best, most effective type of exercise. That's whatever you're going to be able to stick with the longest and enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. So For someone who's coming out of this like very rigid, disordered relationship with exercise that's super focused on weight and appearance, and they're wanting to shift into this more intuitive, anti-diet, you know, weight neutral approach, what are some kind of like probing prompts, questions, or just like um, approaches to connecting with other intentions besides physical appearance? Mm-hmm. I think, especially when it comes to trying to find what types of movement you'll, you're actually going to want to in- enjoy doing. Like I always say that your joyful movement is like the type of activity that you would still want to do, even if it had no I- impact or emphasis on any body changes. So digging into what that could be. Um, yeah. And I think like, again, really doing the work outside of the gym like everything we've been talking about throughout the conversation. And it is, I think, a long kind of tricky journey for a lot of people. And and I don't know, maybe in some ways, maybe more so than than intuitive eating and and, uh, repairing your relationship with food. Because with exercise, there can still be that... um, idea that there is a manipulation of your body shape happening, maybe more so than what you're eating, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of people, and maybe you've experienced this with your clients, have a harder time getting like the non-diet fitness piece compared to the non-diet food piece. It seems to come in time much long after. Much long after. Absolutely. I've seen that with my clients. Absolutely. So if, okay, I'm just like thinking about a person listening who's like, if this is like their first exposure to this, if someone's thinking like, okay, so if I wasn't working out to change the size or shape of my body or to like look Mm. more toned or whatever, what are other benefits Mm. of working out? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So we want to look at it as, you know, your improved quality of life as you age. Like, you know, we're kind of getting to the kind the 
age where we are starting to feel more aches and pains. We are starting to notice differences um, just with how we're feeling throughout the day. So like, especially as we're aging, it's really important to be keeping up your muscle mass, to be having strong bones. So that's going to be coming from that resistance training and when I say resistance training, that could be a variety of things like that could be lifting weights, that could be hiking, that could be doing yard work. So again, doesn't need to be in a gym setting. So all of those things are going to be improving your life, improving your health and your fitness. And they have nothing to do with any weight loss that may or may not be happening, any body composition changes. And there is a great study as well, that shows that you can have improvements in your health and fitness, regardless of any body changes that can happen. So we don't need to be looking at those those body changes as like the ultimate yardstick of like measuring. So yeah, you have the muscle mass that's going to help, especially like with injuries. Like if you happen to have a fall, you're just going to be a lot more protected in that you're going to heal a lot more quickly because that is you know, inevitable in life that we're going to have these, you know, things come up and things happen. Um, So all of these things that we can be focusing on, but even like improved sleep, like you're going to have more energy, you're going to have like clearer head, less stress. Like these, these are all things that you can be focusing on um, when you're thinking about working out or you're thinking about like, what am I getting out of this? So I think that could maybe be helpful for people. Yeah. I love that. I, I think a person connecting to their own specific intentions of like things that feel close to home for them is so important. And I think about my own story, like I love getting some movement in on a day when I have client calls or when I'm recording podcasts like this, because I feel like it just like makes the words come to me faster. Like Mm -hmm. my brain just like feels more like kind of clear. And, Mm -hmm. and that's like a really specific benefit that feels really motivating for me because I love the feeling of being able to communicate more seamlessly. Um, And I see that as a result of certain kinds of movement. And so it's just like, oh, cool. Okay. Noted. I'm thinking of a lot of clients who are like, I think like I'm worried I'm getting back into movement, but like, I don't know, is it, is it diety? Is it, is it like coming from a, you know, bad intention? How can a person like really keep themselves honest with their intentions and like, what is kind of this like timeline look like in terms of healing from disordered relationship with exercise? Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people who are working towards improving their relationships with exercise or even food have this idea that like they're going to start and then it's just going to be like completely linear from there. But that's not the case. I think for a lot of people, there are going to be times where, and I don't even want to say like slip up because it's just kind of natural that there's going to be times where you do maybe fall back into like old patterns of thinking or a previous mentality or whatever the case may be. I think what I see happen often with my clients who are kind of in a position because I work mostly with with people who are wanting to improve the relationship with exercise who have had previously difficult relationships with it. Um, If there are like other stressors happening in their life or they're going through other things, I think that can sometimes manifest into again, like slipping back into those more diety thoughts and and patterns. So like checking in with like, okay, like what else is going on in my life? Like what other stress is going on here? Because in a lot of ways, 
that can that can have been used as like a coping mechanism. Um, so I think when people kind of start to realize like, okay, like I have been really stressed, I have a lot more going on. And that's also coinciding with these kind of negative thoughts or like patterns that I'm trying to get away from. Um, yeah, like just kind of facilitating all of their self-care that they like to do that usually helps with their stressful times. And I think that can have a big impact, but um, it's, yeah, it's definitely not uncommon to kind of just slip back into, into those thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I love the piece you're bringing up about like checking in on what's going on in other aspects of life, if that does happen. Mm-hmm. So this next question, um, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on what if a person feels like they'll never just like be a person who naturally craves movement? Because we talk about like intuitive movement, like moving because it feels like it would support you and it would feel good. What if someone's in the headspace of like, I just, I would never naturally feel called to move? I would say first and foremost that you don't, you shouldn't feel like you have to if you don't want to. Like I, as a fitness professional, am here to help people become more active and move safely and and all of that good stuff. But at the same time, like I know lots of people who are just like, I don't like doing intentional exercise. And that doesn't mean that they're not active throughout their day, but there's lots of different ways to take care of yourself and movement is just one. So I, I would say that firstly, just to help take like that pressure off of someone. But at the same time, it also kind of makes me think, and again, going back to like how similar the ties are between like intuitive eating and intuitive movement, it reminds me of when people say like, if I started intuitive eating, I would only ever eat X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? Or like, right. I can't see myself like just naturally craving vegetables totally. in that in that same sense. So I think, you know, just because that's how you feel now doesn't mean that's how you'll always feel. But at the same time, like, yeah, I don't know if like a formal exercise program is for everybody or like needs to be for everybody. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it is. Like, I love yeah. that you said that and you gave that permission. Like, yeah, it's different priorities for everyone. And I think the mm-hmm. key here being like, there's no moral hierarchy. Like you're not a better person if you're adhering to a workout yeah. plan versus if that's oh, yeah. not something that feels important for your world. Absolutely. And like, again, so much of fitness culture, like mainstream fitness culture ties into like that healthism and like you need to be um, active in order to be a good person, to be like a worthy, valuable person. And it's like, that's not everybody's priority. And again, like making it seem as if it needs to be their priority doesn't, isn't motivating. Like just telling someone you need to do this doesn't like, we see that all the time. Right. So again, just like taking the pressure off of yourself and it's okay. Like it's okay yeah. if you don't want to participate in a movement program, yeah, routine, whatever that. you want to call it. Yeah, and it also just does. It doesn't mean that you're not getting benefits of movement. Like you're yeah. a human being. You probably are mm-hmm. doing dishes or laundry or gardening Absolutely. or some like others or like holding your children and like just living mm-hmm. your life. Yeah, and again, it goes back to I think like so many people's. Um, kind of misconstrued, but not there, not because of their own fault. Again, this idea of like, so many people think that exercise is this one thing. Whereas like you're saying that person probably is active throughout their life anyways, and getting the benefits already, but just because they're not again, like doing a workout class doesn't mean that they're not benefiting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
I love your answer to that so much. And I remember once um, I heard this like bigger anti-diet intuitive eating dietitian um, like publicly say, she's like, I don't, she's like, I don't really like vigorous movement. And there was something like, it was kind of early on in my own journey. I was like, whoa, that's freeing. Like that you can say that and that can be okay. And like, how cool Mm -hmm. to know that about yourself. Like, it's not that like everyone should be striving to find a form of vigorous Mm -hmm. movement that they like, they just might, it's okay if you just, that doesn't feel good for you. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a big thing about what anti-diet culture is, right? Like letting go of this idea that doing these things and eating in this certain way and exercising in this very specific way is going to, again, like make you worthy, make you valuable. And it's just, yeah, that's just not the case or something that anyone needs to be striving for if they don't want to. Yeah. It's so important. Like the, yeah, the health is in peace. I'm just going back to in my head. I love something that you said so much and I feel the need to just say it back to highlight it. This piece of like, it feels like such an important takeaway of finding a kind of joyful movement that you really like, like a good kind of litmus test being if there was no, if, if you were certain that that movement wouldn't change your physical appearance, would you still want to do it? I mm-hmm. love that. Yeah. And especially if someone is kind of feeling like maybe they are falling back into those, into that diety thought pattern, because like, again, so much of it, it's hard to decipher, right? Like the intention matters so much, like eating a salad, for example, like doesn't necessarily mean anything. Like you could just be eating the salad or whatever, but if you are like only eating it because you're scared of eating something else or like whatever, and the same idea with fitness as well. Like I think too, if someone's kind of questioning their, their relationship with exercise, like how are you feeling if you need to take time off from exercise? Like does the thought of not doing a formal workout for like two weeks give you a lot of anxiety, like looking into that and like checking in with that. Um, I think having a a really solid relationship with exercise, you are able to miss a workout or take that time off and not feel guilty about it. Um, So I think that's a really important piece to check in with yourself. Such a good point. I'm glad you put that in there. I think I'm going to go to our wrap up questions. I'm like, sure. oh, we could yeah. talk forever. Um, <laughs> what is your biggest fitness culture pet peeve? Oh boy. How much time do we have? <laughs> I mean, go for it. <laughs> no. no, I think, yeah. Like everything that we've been talking about again, just this idea of if you eat like me, if you work out like me, you're going to look like me. But again, this idea that fitness should be your life. I think I'm going to make that one my number one pet peeve is that so many fitness professionals, fitness influencers, whatever, they kind of promote this idea that in order to get any benefit from movement that you need to make it like your full-time freaking job. And that's just not the case. And like, nor is it conducive to getting consistent with any type of routine. So I think like really reiterating to people and again, like going back to the research, we know that even doing like 30 minutes a week, like throughout the week, doesn't even even need to be consecutive. Like that is going to like cut your risk of chronic disease by like half. So like we don't need to be doing hours upon hours of exercise in order to see benefit from it. And when I'm obviously when I say see benefit, I mean like in terms of how it's improving your quality of life, not what's happening to your body. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure people got that, but um, all the disclaimers. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And just like to that, again, like being obsessed with the pursuit of health is not healthy. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know I said I was going to the wrap up questions, but I just want to touch on this. So we, I, I, I think I've been using movement and exercise interchangeably throughout this mm. um, conversation. And I mm-hmm. think you kind of have been too. Yeah. Um, do you have any thoughts you want to share around language, um, like movement versus exercise? Yeah. Like I can, I think whatever someone is like comfortable with using, like I can totally see the negative connotations with exercise. I'll, I will use them interchangeably, but I've kind of at a point where like ex- exercise, the term exercise isn't as triggering to me, but I know that it can be for other people. I think like exercise is more like intentional, like you're moving for the sole purpose of moving, like you're doing a workout class, whatever, whereas movement can be everything you've been talking about, just like throughout your day, whatever. And if that feels better, like more accessible, but I know that like exercise is like so loaded just in the same way that like healthy diet would be like a loaded term. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think some of my clients have been so burned by their previous relationship with exercise that like rebranding it all together and just calling it movement can feel yeah. so much better. But yeah, <laughs> it just depends on the person. Like if, like you said, you're in a place in your story where like calling it exercise doesn't, you know, do anything neither here nor there for you. Um, but I love the option for people to be mm-hmm. like, yeah, call it movement. If you're just like totally like triggered or like activated by the term exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting because I know that there are other like non-diet fitness professionals that do not use the word exercise at all. And like, that's cool too. So um, I'm glad that you brought that up in case someone's like, I thought, this was, I thought this was a bad word, but I think it just depends on, you know, there's just any, anything else, right? Like even the term healthy, like is, it's just, like, yes, yes, absolutely. Like it's so loaded and it's just like, you can take the power out of it, but, um, you don't need to, if you don't want to. Yeah. You can reclaim it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So I asked this question to everyone, um, being that, you know, we're talking about like intuitive eating, intuitive movement. I I always like to kind of ask someone like, kind of dig into the weeds of like, what even is intuition to you? So Mm. the question is, what does intuition mean to you and how do you experience it? That's such a good question. I think in terms of even if we're just looking at it from like a fitness side, it's checking in with myself. Like, do I even want to do this kind of workout today? I think for a long time, and this was even like more recently as well, just to go back to like how long of a process it can be to like let go of certain thoughts. But I would be like doing types of movement that I thought that I liked doing, but it was more so because I thought that it made me look a certain way. And so and so letting go of that idea and and really kind of checking with myself, like, do I even want to be doing this today? Like, am I going to feel better if I do something else? How is it going to make me feel if I do the other thing that I think I quote unquote should be doing? And I think just like seeing that it fits in more holistically. And like, again, speaking of like kind of loaded triggering words, holistic was one that can get me sometimes, but even just seeing that as like a full picture kind of thing, like it's not going to feel intuitive or feel good if I'm again, like doing this really hard workout that I don't even want to do when I could be doing something more gentle. And that's going to like give me more space and time for the rest of my day. So I think like looking again at like that big picture idea of all the other things I enjoy doing and how I feel like they fit into my life and not just looking at fitness as like this one piece and like looking at it as 
one big picture. <laughs> I don't even know if that made yeah. any sense. <laughs> totally. Yeah, no, it did. And in terms of like part two of that question of how do you experience it? Like when you're checking in with like, is this the kind of work that I want to do today? Or is it mm-hmm. not? Would something else feel more aligned? How do you like get the answer to that in your body? I think giving yourself permission to like get curious with that and like stop if you want to. Again, like so many people feel like they, if they start a certain workout, they have to finish it to the end. But like I'll be doing a workout, even if it's like a workout video or something, someone else's where like they're doing a move and I'm like, "Eh, I don't really want to do that one. And I'll just like do something else or just like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, march on the spot or whatever, go eat a snack or something. (laughs) So yeah. So I think again, like and just like not putting so much pressure on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I love that piece about like giving yourself permission to stop or like modify it in a way that feels better for you. Mm -hmm. I love it. Is there anything else on your heart that you're feeling called to share with the people or anything that we missed? I think just to reiterate to people that fitness movement, however you want to call it, however it makes sense to you right now, it should always be something that's adding to your life and never taking away from it. And so I think that's so many of our relationships, not only just with, with fitness, but with food as well, where it just becomes to become so preoccupying and you should still have time and space and energy to do everything else that you want to do and and are passionate about. Um, again, trying to get away from this idea that you need to make it your whole entire life because that just has so many more negatives than positives, I think. So yeah, making sure that it's adding, not taking away from your life and having fun with it, really. I love that. Those are such good takeaways. Thanks. Where can people find you to stay connected? And if you want to share, um, I think a lot of people in my audience would be really interested to learn about like, oh my God, okay, so where can I get non-diet exercise Mm -hmm. content online? Um, I'd love to hear more about that offering that you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram. It's just my name at Kira Nisko. And I offer only online fitness. So I, like I mentioned earlier, have a workout video membership called fit from home. And I do one-on-one coaching as well, where that's like a personalized program. If, if you had maybe like more specific goals or you had like limitations or injuries that we would be more concerned about. And as I'm sure you would imagine, both aspects are totally body neutral. There's no emphasis on weight loss, dieting is not encouraged. And yeah, we're focusing more on how we're feeling rather than looking And yeah, I also, I have a podcast as well that I started recently with um, another friend of mine who's also a dietitian and we talk about food and fitness, kind of like myth busting and getting into like the wellness culture. And that's called the wellness check. Love that. Thank you so much, Kira. It was so fun chatting and, and I'm so grateful to you for coming on and sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. If you enjoyed this episode, if it inspired you, if you learned something, it would mean so much to me if you rated it and reviewed it. And if you feel called to, share it with someone who it might resonate with. You can find me on Instagram at leahkern.rd. You can also join my weekly newsletter by visiting leahkernrd.com. And I'll see you next week. Music